So we're in a series called Teach Me to Pray, and this is part four in our series. We're studying the Lord's Prayer, and already we've studied our Father which art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. The past three sermons, there are three goals to prayer. Okay, three goals to prayer. Before we get into today, three goals. Can anybody tell me what the first goal of prayer is? The first goal of praying is what? Anybody? Come on, anybody taking notes? Come on, the first goal of prayer, we, pr- we pray it through hallowed be thy name. What's the goal, the first goal? To want what God wants. Good job, good job. To, uh, the first goal of prayer is to change my heart. There's no use in communicating to God if I don't want whatever he wants. So you want to want what he wants, That's number one. The second goal of prayer is what? To find out what God wants. Very good, to find out God's will. And the third goal of prayer is? To pray God's will from heaven to earth. That's the whole first part of the Lord's Prayer. To want what he wants, to find out what he wants, and to pray what he wants. Okay? Uh, Let me give you some scriptures before we get into today's subject. There's hundreds of scriptures on prayer. I just want to point out two of them before we start. One is Isaiah 115. There's a lot of scriptures that back this up. When you open your hands to pray, notice it doesn't say when you close them. When you open your hands to pray, I will not listen until you say no to evil. So this is a scripture that basically says, if you don't want what I want, you're wasting your time praying. You need to want what I want. And here's another one. This one's for all the ladies in the house. First Peter 3, 7 says, when you pray, oh, sorry, no, it doesn't. It says a husband should treat his wife with respect so that his prayers are not ineffective. Ladies, that's a good one to hold over your husband's head. Anytime he does not treat you with respect or honor, you can say your prayers are going to be ineffective. Isn't it amazing that God cares so much about our marriage that he says if you're not taking care of that first ministry, of your, the first ministry you have on earth before the church, you take care of your marriage, if you're not taking care of that, your prayers might not even work. They might not even be effective at all. Isn't that amazing scripture? I think that's amazing. Okay. I guess y'all don't. I think it is. Okay, here we go. Luke 11 and Matthew 9, Matthew 6, 9 through 13. I want to hear you good and strong. Here's why we say this each week. Do you know how many millennials that are saved that don't know the Lord's Prayer? So it's very important we learn the Lord's Prayer. When you pray, pray like this. Go, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom, the power, the glory forever. Amen. It starts with praise. It ends with praise. And for your notes, in the middle of this prayer is a petition. I'd love for you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew 6. You can see it, but it's a petition. You can write in your Bibles the word petition. Does anybody know what phrase we are on this week? Anybody want to guess? Give us this day our daily bread. Amen. So the first phrase we're going to study today is give us. Give us. Here's what's very interesting. You can put it up there on the screen for me. What's very interesting about this is that Jesus, when teaching us how to pray, he taught us to pray by asking our Father to give us things. Asking our Father to give us things. Now, I want to read you a bunch of scriptures that point this out, and I want you to see what the common denominator is here. Matthew 7, verse 8. Jesus said, everyone who keeps on asking receives. Matthew 7, 11. If you then, evil as you are, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who keep on asking him? Matthew 18, 19. If two of you on earth agree about whatever they may ask, 
it will come to pass and be done for them by my Father in heaven. And before I read you the other ones, I want to tell you what's going on with the rest of the scriptures. It's between John 14 and John 16, okay? The reason I want to point this out is because this is the Last Supper. These next few scriptures I'm going to read you are the Last Supper. If you can picture the um, painting by Leonardo da Vinci and they're all sitting around eating, I want you to picture Jesus talking to these guys after they've already spent years in ministry, they've served, they know all the things, and Jesus is trying to get a point across. And I'm going to read it, and I want you to just picture these two chapters of conversation. Jesus keeps going back to the same thing. He's like, you know, Peter, put the wine down. Listen to me. Matthew, stop eating for a minute. I'm trying to talk to you guys. There's something important. I need you to hear what I'm trying to say. This is the last thing I'm going to speak to you about. This is our last supper. It's very important that you understand this. John 15, 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, then you can pray for whatever you want, and you shall have it. John 15, 16, I chose you to bear much fruit so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. John 16, 23, the Father will give you whatever you ask for in my name. Do you see he keeps going back and over again, ask God, ask God, ask God. Sometimes we think it's selfish to ask God for things. Sometimes we think we haven't been good enough to ask God for big things, so we only ask for small things, but God wants us to ask. Over and over again, he told him, he said, you got to ask, you got to ask, you got to ask. Now, if you read these scriptures, you may think this thought. So we can ask for whatever we want, and we can have it. We can just go to God and say, whatever we want. The filter for prayer is in the name of Jesus. The filter for prayer is through the name of Jesus. If you go back to all the scriptures we just read, you'll see over and over he says, in my name, in my name, through me. In other words, if Jesus doesn't want you to have it, then you don't need to be praying for it. Um, Jesus, I'm praying, and you said I could have anything, so I want a billion dollars right now, right now. Well, see, that might not be what God wants you to have. God, I'm asking for a pound of cocaine that I can sell. I, I just want it so bad. I'm addicted. I need it today. That's not what God wants you to have. So the filter for prayer is in Jesus' name. Um, In March of 2012, I was driving by this building. I had driven by this building hundreds, if not over a thousand times. I go to K&W two or three times a week. And so my house is that way, K&W is that way, so I drive by it over and over and over again. In March of 2012, this has happened to me maybe three or four times in my life, it felt like, just like that, like God threw an angel in my car and started to speak to me. I mean, just as quick as he could. Now, I wasn't thinking godly thoughts. I wasn't singing an old hymn. I wasn't quoting the scripture. I was just driving. Nothing spiritual, nothing you know, out of the ordinary, until all of a sudden, Jesus dropped an angel in my car as I was driving by this building and said, I want you to have that building. I want you to have that property. What's interesting is, immediately, whenever I felt like God said that to me, I prayed out loud. I said, Lord, thank you for giving me that building. Thank you for giving me that property. And here's what I thought. I thought, God, you're so powerful. You're so miraculous. You're so amazing. I do believe that in the next 20 to 50 years, you're powerful enough to somehow give us that building. With all my heart, I believe, God, that a minimum of 20 years, you can do it. Maximum of 50 years, I know you're all powerful. I know somehow you'll give us that building. I immediately started praying for it. And in fact, I was so 
um, convinced that God spoke that to me. I actually wrote it in my Bible at the time. I actually wrote it in the front of my Bible. And so uh, I was pastoring a church in Socasty, and we had just bought some property way out in the woods. I mean, down two dirt roads to get there. And so I figured in my head, well, maybe in 20 years after we build and pay that off and everything, then God will somehow open up the door for us to have this prime piece of property, middle of Myrtle Beach. Market Common just started. Everything was booming. And uh, so I just started praying. Six months later, I was going, I actually wrote the exact date down, all the details. Monday, September the 3rd of that same year, I was going to Conway to get a variance for the property we had bought out in the woods. A variance is where you get it switched from residential to religious purposes. And so um, I'd already done and done that when we bought the property, but evidently you got to renew it every year until you build on it. And so we had just paid it off after four or five years. We were going to build a small little, um, you know, just a little metal building to start off. So I went to Conway just like I'd already done. I said, hey, we want a variance. And they said, does anybody here object? And about 30 to 35 people in the audience stood up. And they all came to the microphone, and one by one, they all began to tell why they don't want a church back there in that country road piece of property. They said they don't want the traffic, they don't want the noise, they don't want anything religious out there. One by one, I heard them speak, and I literally sat there for about an hour and ten minutes, and I just cried, thinking I'm such a failure. I talked to the church into buying this property. We paid it off. We're going to build now. i got to go back in front of these people and tell them we're not going to be able to build on this property. That was a Monday, September the 3rd. I left there feeling like a huge failure. On Wednesday, September the 5th, two days later, my dad called me. We hadn't talked in seven or eight years, not a single word. He owned this property. And he said, uh, John Paul, it's me, your dad. I need some money right away, and I want to sell you that property. He said, if you can't buy it in the next three days, I'm going to sell it to somebody else that wants it because i got to have that money. So that was a Wednesday. I went to bake 10, 12 banks between Thursday and Friday, and every one of them said, you need $85,000 to put down, and we'll give you the loan on the rest. We only had $35,000 in the bank at the time. That Sunday morning, I stood in front of the church. I said, listen, here's the story. Hadn't talked to my dad in seven or eight years. Six months earlier, I was driving by. God told us we're supposed to have that property. I've been praying for six months. Last Monday night, we got denied a variance for the property we have. We need $50,000 today. There was probably 50 people in church. You know, that Sunday, I have the exact details written down. September the 9th, 2012, the offering was $53,410. And it wasn't by one person. It wasn't by 10 people. Every single person in church sacrificed and gave. Here's the point I want to tell you. There are some miracles or some gifts or some miraculous events that will never take place in your life until you ask our Father. God wants to heal your body, not just make you feel better. God wants to restore the things that have been stolen from you in your life. Not just one, not just two, but all of them. God wants to do miraculous things in your children's lives, not just get them off of drugs. But we have to ask our Father. James 4.2 says, you have not because you ask not. And the rest of that is my points. It's not the scripture. But a lot of times we think I shouldn't ask God for too much. If he wants to bless me, he'll bless me. I haven't been good enough. Maybe if I could sacrifice more in my life, then I could ask God for these big things. But God expects us to release our faith by asking him. Um, in the Old Testament, there was a woman named Hannah. And it says in 1 Samuel 1.10, Hannah was deeply distressed. She cried bitterly, and she was crushed in her soul. Why does the Bible describe this woman like this? Here's why. She desperately wanted a child. 
Her and her husband could not conceive, and she cried. She was so upset for years. She was crushed in her... That's a, I've never read this phrase anywhere in the Bible. She was crushed in her soul. Her mind, her will, and her emotions were crushed. What's so funny about Hannah is she served God. What's interesting is like many of you, she came to church. She gave in the offering. She served. She did her part for years and never got a child. Finally, she did something she had never done before. It says in verse 17, Hannah asked God. The next scripture says in verse 19, the next morning God began making the necessary arrangements to answer her prayer. Listen, it's not wrong to ask. You're not being ungodly to ask. You're not being selfish to ask. God expects us to release our faith by asking him. See, some of y'all, you've given up on dreams. You've given up on desires. You've given up on things that God wants you to have because you stopped asking. And you're trying to pay for it somehow. If I can do this and this and this, then maybe God will bless me. God wants to bless us, but we have to ask. Um, there's a, don't put the picture up until I tell you to, but, um, there's a story about a girl named Jamie. It's a true story. I read it. It's just a few years ago in Texas. Her and her family lived on a farm and Jamie was seven years old and, uh, they had a bunch of cows and one of the cows was pregnant and was going to give birth in a few weeks. And Jamie, for some reason, she wanted that baby calf to be hers, the one that was going to be born. The father had already told the family they were not going to keep any more cows. They had enough cows, didn't want any more, no matter what. And Jamie begged and pleaded and begged and pleaded, and her dad would not give in. I mean, over and over it went. So finally, after maybe three or four weeks, she finally got her dad to come up with an exception. Her dad said, Jamie, all of our cows are brown. All of them have white spots. They're brown or brown with white spots all over them. If by some miracle this cow is born and it's a black cow, then Jamie, I will let you keep this cow. But if by all the other means, all the other cows, if this thing's born brown or brown with spots, we're going to sell it or we're going to give it away. Immediately, seven-year-old Jamie began praying. And she prayed every day, God, please let this cow be black. God, please let there be no doubt this cow is supposed to be mine. See, some of y'all, y'all wouldn't pray crazy things like that. Y'all pray things like, God, just give me an okay day today. Just help me get through this day. God doesn't want to just help you get through this day. God wants to help you get through the whole week. He, he doesn't, God, just help me get along with my coworkers. God may want you to own the place. You pray these little prayers. I find that crazy prayers show that we have crazy faith and they always produce crazy results in our life. What I love about this story is, is that Jamie prayed and she was seven years old. Thank God her parents drug her to church. Just as a side note, when I read that, I immediately thought about sissy parents that say things like, we can't make our kids come to church. Now you make your kids go to school five days a week for eight hours a day but you can't make your child come to church for one hour. Thank God they brought Jamie to church. Jamie prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. Finally, when the cow had its baby, not only did the cow come out black, but right in between its eyes, there was a big white J there, just like, is this, show me the picture, just like God stamped the letter J right in the middle of that black cow, said, this cow belongs to Jamie. <laughs> And that's a picture of Jamie and her cow. It's so amazing how quick we give up on dreams. It's so amazing how much we limit God in our life. God wants us to ask. 
One time Joshua was fighting a battle and he needed more time and the sun was going down. He didn't know what to do. And in Joshua 10 verse 12, it says that Joshua prayed loud enough for all to hear. He didn't pray quiet. He didn't say, I'm going to bow my head. I don't want anybody to hear this prayer. Allow everybody here, Lord, make the sun stop and make the moon stand still. You know, scientists, they're baffled by our sun baffled by it. They don't understand how it stays up in the air. They don't understand all its brilliance, how it doesn't burn the earth. They're amazed by it. The reason the sun is up in space is because God spoke it into existence. And if God can speak something into existence, he can tell it what he wants it to do. Verse 13 says, so the sun stopped and the moon stood still until Israel finished defeating its enemies. Don't ask for small things. Don't say, God, I just want a 50-cent raise. That's all I'm asking for. That's all I want. God may want to give you a $10 raise. God, I just hope that me and my spouse, I just want us to just survive our marriage. God wants you and your spouse to thrive and to serve God together. God, I just want my kid to get off drugs. That's all I'm asking. God wants your kid to be a missionary or a pastor or something great for him. Stop praying small little prayers. Ephesians 3.20 says God can do anything far more than we can ask beyond our highest prayers. Uh, this is telling me that if we're not asking, God can't do more than what we're asking. The phrase we're studying today is give us, and the rest of it says this, this day our daily bread. This is a prayer of provision. The areas that we don't ask God for help in each day it's almost like a form of pride. It's almost like we're saying, God, I can get through this meeting without your wisdom. I got wisdom on my own. God, I can play this instrument on my own. I got, I've worked hard for this talent. I don't need your anointing in my life. God, I can speak. I've been doing it for so many years, so I don't need your help today. God, I've been raising these kids. My kids are doing okay, so I'm a pretty good parent. I don't need you right now. No, God wants you to ask for provision in every area of your life every single day. When Jesus said that phrase, give us this day our daily bread in the Lord's Prayer, all theologians believe that he was actually referring to a time with the Israelites in Exodus 16. Verse 4, God told him this, I will rain bread from heaven each day the people can gather enough for that day. In this way, I can test them to see if they're going to obey me. Here's what God was telling them. He was saying, I want to see that you guys will only get what you need today and believe that I'll be in your life tomorrow. Get what you need for that day and believe I'll be in your life the next day, on and on. The problem was, a lot of the Israelites were not trusting in God's provision. They were trusting in the bread. They gathered more than they should. You know, God created our digestive tract to eat every single day. I'm sure, that, um, I'm sure that Dan and Erica with their new baby, I'm sure that Erica would love it if they only had to feed their baby monthly. Like once a month, here's your food, now we're done for the whole month. That's not how God created us. The point I'm making is God wants us to pray for his provision, not monthly, not annually, not on Easter and Christmas. He wants us to talk to him every single day. Also, as a side note, just a little rabbit trail, this scripture can also point to tithing because God gives us whatever and he tells us, here's what I want you to keep from me. This is what's mine. It's interesting, but in verse 20, it says that some of them disobeyed and the next morning what they kept was full of worms and rotten. 
what they were doing was they were saying, God, I don't believe you're going to be in my life later on. I'm only trusting you for this, but I might need to take some more just in case you're not here tomorrow. They were taking what did not belong to them and what does not belong to you is going to rot. Matthew 4, 4, Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Here's what this is all saying. When we pray, we're saying, God, we recognize that our boss is not our source. If our boss likes us or hates us, doesn't matter. God, when we pray, we're recognizing that the president of the United States is not our source. God, everyone around us can downfall. Their business cannot make it. But God, because we serve you, we believe that our business is in your hands. When we pray daily, we're saying, God, the money in the bank is not our source. Uh, the, the, the government's not our source. The people are us. God, we're saying that you are our source every single time we pray. I want you to just picture something with me for a minute. Picture that you made it to heaven. Life on earth is over. And as you get there, Jesus greets you, and he says, I want to give you a tour of this place. And man, this is a long tour, but you're enjoying every minute of it. I mean, you go up some mountains and valleys and streams, and you walk by Moses and Joseph, and you say hey to a few guys. You're just kind of taking the, the, the five-cent tour, just kind of get through it to see everything before you really start your life in heaven. As you cross through some area, you come to this giant warehouse, and the warehouse is so big, you can't even see the end of it on the left or the right. Jesus tells you, we're just going to walk through here to get to the other side to continue our, our journey in heaven. As you walk through, you see thousands and thousands of hallways, hundreds of floors, and millions of rooms. Every single room has somebody's name on it. And you're just walking through. Jesus is in front of you. All of a sudden, before you see the exit door, you look to your right, and there's a room that's got your name on the door. You say, hold up, Jesus. Whoa, 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 whoa. Jesus turns around and says, what is it? You say, what is this place, Jesus? He says, I don't worry about it. It's just a warehouse where we keep some things. Let's keep on going. You say, no, 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 Jesus. This one right here, this door, it has my name on it. What's inside this room? Jesus says, you don't want to go in there. Trust me. Let's keep on going. I got so many other things to show you. There's some animals I want to go over. some dinosaurs. Come on. No, Jesus, hold on now. This is heaven. How bad could it be? Okay, it's a huge storehouse filled with rooms. This door's got my name on it. Jesus says, are you sure you want to open up that door? You say, of course I do. It's heaven. He opens the door for you, and when you walk in, there's tons of shelves with boxes on every shelf. You immediately run to one of the boxes, you open it up, and you realize that this room is filled with blessings they were supposed to be yours on earth, but you never got them. This first box is a box of God's favor. This next box is a box of wisdom for a very important meeting that you had. This next box is filled with cash. This next box is filled with names of friends. This next box is filled with words of wisdom from God. This next box is filled with health. This next box is filled with joy that you needed in 1997 on Wednesday, the first day of the year. All, all, every one of these boxes, blessing after blessing. And you say, Jesus, why didn't I get these? And he looks at you. He hangs his head. He says, you never asked. They were there. They were for you. We wanted you to have them. The angel was all set, ready to go en route. The box was full. 
but you never asked. There's a man I want to tell you about in closing. His name's Jabez. He's in the Bible. There's only two scriptures in the whole Bible about this guy. 1 Chronicles 4, verse 9 and 10. Verse 9, it starts off, says this, There was a man named Jabez. Just stop right there. You know, in the Bible days, names meant a lot. They were very significant. Even nowadays they are, but, but spiritually speaking, someone's name could actually predict their future. It defined them in the Bible. The name Jabez actually means this. It means trouble, sorrow, grief, pain, suffering, and heartache. Imagine how Jabez felt. Most likely, his parents were so distraught that they got pregnant with him or that he, when he was born, that they named him grief and sorrow. Maybe his um, father ran out on his mom before he was born and his mom was so upset she named him pain, trouble. Maybe uh, the birth was incredibly difficult for her. She thought she was going to die and she named him Jabez. Maybe, uh, I can imagine when he was growing up, kids at school probably taunted him. Here comes trouble. Everybody watch out. Here's trouble. For some reason or another, he was labeled as sorrow, grief, pain, heartache, trouble. Out of two scriptures in the Bible, one tells us his name, and the other one tells us a prayer that he prayed. This prayer that he prays shows us there's something very special about Jabez. In spite of his childhood, in spite of the things he's done wrong, in spite of the mistakes that he made, he prayed a prayer in verse 10, and he said, God, bless me indeed. Give me much land. Enlarge my territory. Be with me. Provide your personal protection for me. Keep me from anything evil that might cause me pain. What right did he have to pray that prayer? We don't read about him serving God. We don't read about him going to Sunday school. We don't read about him giving in the offering. We don't read about him being a pastor. Surely God would say something like this, Jabez, stop wasting my time. I got prophets I need to bless and pastors and apostles I want to do great things for. In spite of all of that, the very last thing we read about Jabez is the rest of verse 10, and it says, and God granted his prayer request. Isaac asked God for a wife, and God gave it to him. Moses asked God to make bitter water sweet, and God did it. Elisha asked God to open up his servant's eyes, and God opened them up. Hezekiah asked God for more time to live, and God gave him 15 more years. Daniel asked God for help with an enemy, and God turned the enemy into a bird. Solomon asked God for wisdom, and God gave him wisdom plus billions of dollars. Samuel asked God where somebody was at, and God replied, he's behind the supplies. Simeon asked God if he could see Jesus before he died, and he was able to hold baby Jesus in church before he passed away. Hannah asked God for a baby. Joshua asked God to stop the sun. I asked God for this building, and the common denominator is that every one of those people asked. Is there something in your life that you've stopped asking for? Is there something in your life that you believe is just too difficult for God? 
Something that you think, you know what, like me, when I ask for this building, maybe in 20 years God will do it. Maybe I'm willing to wait 50 years if that's what it takes. Is there something that you need to ask our Father to give to you? You have, wouldn't it be so sad to find out the only reason you have not is because you ask not. You're doing everything else like Hannah, church, serving, giving. You just haven't 